This morning's scripture comes to us from the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're following along in your own Bibles, you can turn to chapter 3 and we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 18. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, This is God's very word for you this morning. So let's receive it. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit? Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for, uh, for your word, for to what it means that, that we are able to gather around it and learn from you and hear from you. And so we praise you for your word. We ask, God, that you would meet with us now in this space and time, that you would open your word to us, that we would experience the transforming power that is contained therein. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by some profound blessing, please open our hands that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've known someone uh, who is like this, or maybe this is you, you know, this is just how it is. Some of us have a challenge, have a hard time with articulating the words, I'm sorry, or with articulating the words, I'm wrong. Uh, Many of us like to think that we're right somewhere around 99.999% of the time. And uh, we, we, we don't like being, uh, ha- having it pointed out to us that we're wrong, uh, and we don't like having to confess that we're wrong, but sometimes like, it's just healthy and good and right for the soul to be able to say, I'm wrong. And so I feel like on behalf of uh, many Uh, Bible translators, I'm going to stand before you today and proclaim that we're wrong. Uh, There's a particular word that's at the the crux of the argument from Paul in 2 Corinthians, verse 18, that is translated in almost every version, every translation of the Bible, horribly. So if you do have your Bibles, I hope that we can make a little bit of an edit, okay, and, uh, and, and be sure that, that we have a grasp on the profound work of, of God's Word in the, this change of words. So in verse 18 it says, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, okay, 
we're not just contemplating the Lord's glory. That's not uh, what, what this word is, what Paul's articulating. It's so much more than like mental assent or thought or reflection on or contemplation. Uh, it, it, it does not sum up the power of what there is because the original Greek is that, uh, which I am not going to attempt to say, right? And if, uh, like, five points for you if you speak Greek and can do that. But I can't. Uh, but the original Greek for contemplate there is, is, is rooted in the word keto patron, which is a mirror. So, so if, if, if a mirror, if a reflection, if, if an image that is accurately and wholly depicting that which is its original is what we see in the word contemplate, then, then it's a whole different translation. And we who now have unveiled faces reflect as though from in a mirror the glory of God. That's... that's, that's that's calling us to something that, that would really take great intentionality and focus and, and a purity of that, uh, of that reflection that is hard for us to even comprehend. What does it mean for us who now have unveiled faces to reflect as a mirror the glory of God? Now, if, if you're really kind of leaning in here with me, you're probably asking, Pastor Jason, what does glory mean? What is the glory of God? Great question. So glad you asked. Um, you're such astute uh, Bible scholar. So uh, what is the glory of God? That, that's a challenge for us, especially as Christians who lean into the New Testament so wholeheartedly to understand what Paul was writing to a community of people that understood the glory of God through the lens of the Old Testament and Jewish tradition. See, they had a whole, uh, a whole context, a whole construct of the glory of God that they were building on. So whenever Paul spoke this word, it had a meaning. But for us, we oftentimes fall short. What does it mean, the glory of of God. Uh, John Piper talks about the difference between trying to describe uh, the glory of God and trying to describe a basketball. He said, you could describe a basketball. You could, you could hold a basketball and you could say to someone, a basketball is round. A basketball is made of specific products. It's made of uh, rubber and leather and it's inflated with air so that it's full and has some density. Uh, and, and you could dribble a basketball with your fingertips, not with your palms because we are good at basketball. Uh, and we're actually going to bounce it with our left hand so that we could be, uh, we could be like James Harden. Okay, so... Uh, and you could, you could catch a basketball, and you could pass a basketball, chest pass, and bounce pass a basketball, and you could play with a basketball, and you could describe a basketball in such concrete way that if you had never seen a basketball, you could begin to grasp what a basketball is. But how do you describe the glory of God? This thing that is an accurate reflection, as in a mirror, in us for the world. How do you describe the glory of God? Uh, John Piper continues his thought in, in looking at Isaiah, and, uh, and he, he begins in verse 3 of chapter 6 uh, with, with, with an understanding that's reflected on the witness of angels. 
So angels of God are, are, are gathered up in a vision that God gives Isaiah, and they're singing all together in a loud chorus. It actually says that they're singing to one another. It's like, it's like a call and response. And it says they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. The whole earth is now full of your glory as the angels sing of this witness. So there's a relationship we could see between glory, the glory of God, and holiness, the holiness of God. That those two things have to be tied to one another, holiness, purity, righteousness, that, that, that God's unfailing integrity is on the line and reflected in the glory of God. So, so Piper offers this definition for us. He says that, that the glory of God is the manifestation or the manifest beauty of God's holiness. The manifest, that thing which is uh, uh, wholly true in you, manifest in you, resides in you. It, it's, it's not some external thing, but it's, but it's absolutely present that God's glory is the manifest beauty of God's holiness. So if we were to think together about that verse 18 now of of 2 Corinthians, we then see together that, that we have unveiled faces and we all now reflect as a mirror God's very holiness that is manifest beauty in us to the world. What a charge we have as Christians, brothers and sisters, that this glory would be known in and through us. There are, there are a couple of uh, of key verses tying to this scene that Paul describes. Paul talks about Moses and his veiled face and the veil that is on the Israelite people and the, the lack of a veil or the falling of the veil for us who know Jesus. And so we need to reference back what the veil looks like and understand where the glory of God and the veil come to us from. It's in Exodus both in chapter 32, uh, 33 and in 34. Uh, the first scene in uh, chapter 33 begins in verse 18. So if, if you have your Bibles, you could take that 2 Corinthians text. You could write in the margins uh, Exodus 33 verses uh, 18 through 23. And then that reference point will be there for you uh, ongoing. See, uh, the scene is set up where Moses uh, is approaching God on Sinai. And he's developing this relationship with God. And, and God is giving him the law. God is giving him his word. And he's bringing it back to the people. And, and then he returns back to the mountain of God, and God meets with him and gives him the word again. And so Moses is in this ongoing relationship with God and relationship with the people as an intermediary. Okay, And as uh, this continues on, Moses wants more. Moses desires more of God. And so Moses actually asks God, he says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you on a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but, but my face must not be seen. 
All right, so now we get a, a, a sense of the power of the glory, the, 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 the all-encompassing wonder that is the glory of God, and how Moses seeks it out. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't handle my glory. And Moses says, but I want it. And God says, you can't handle it. Some, sometimes I think that, that, that we have that conversation with God. God, I want more of you. Uh, I'm going to give you more, but I can't give you all. And, and that's, that's an Old Testament thinking. That's the way in which it was before Jesus. Because what, what God does is God says, hey, you can only handle, uh, you can only handle my back. You can't handle my face. It's my better side. No. Uh, um, and so he says, I'm going to set you up in a rock. I'm going to cover my hand over you so you cannot see. You can't even peek. Because my hand is going to cover you. And as I cover it, I'm going to walk by. And as soon as it gets to my back where you can't see my face, I'm going to let it go. And then you're going to see my glory. But only a portion of it, not all of it. But it was enough. That in and of itself was enough glory for, for Moses to come down from the mountain. And when Moses came down and interacted with the people of God, uh, he was radiating the glory of God. That, that, that just the, the rear guard of God, not the front and not the face, but just the rear guard was enough for Moses to radiate. We get it in, verse, in chapter 34, uh, beginning in verse 29. And this is where we hear about the veil imagery from 2 Corinthians. Paul's referencing this exact passage. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, he was not aware, he didn't even know, that the glory, the radiance of God was on his face. And it was there because he had spoken to the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. The glory of God invoked fear in them. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them, and afterwards all the Israelites came near to him, and he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had uh, what he had been commanded them, they saw his face was radiant, and then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. We begin to grasp, I think, a better understanding of what this glory of God from a Jewish understanding was like. That it was full of power, that it was full of holy presence, that it had such profound impact that it would, it, that secondhand, it would cause those that encountered it to radiate. But it was so powerful, it, it caused fear. And in order to keep people from fearing, Moses would cover his face. Uncover it when he met with God and cover it when he was amongst the people. This glory of God radiates among all those that know God in a one-on-one, intimate encounter sort of a way. When we're back in 2 Corinthians, uh, we, we see in verse uh, 14 that there's, that there's a statement both on the Old Testament side and then a statement for us on the Christian side. Then verse 15 refers back to the first half of verse 14, and verse 16 reverse, refers back to the second half of verse 14. I knew, know you all followed that, so like we're like totally good. So here's the deal. In verse 14, 
the Old Testament side, but their minds were made dull. The Israelite people, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. So if, if you have the Old Covenant, if you're a part of the Israelite community, you only have a portion of the glory of God. You only have a veiled understanding of the glory of God because you have not received a one-on-one connection. There is still yet an intermediary between you and God. There's a veil that's there. There was a veil with Moses. There's also a veil that's there in the temple. And when you go and worship in the temple, the Holy of Holies has a veil in front of it that, that keeps the people from God. And so the people and God are separated in some way. And yet, that just means they have a lack of clarity, a dullness to their understanding of who God is. Paul restates it in verse 15 in this way. He says, and even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Their hearts. That's a new clarification that has intense power for us. That this, that this is not just a mental thing, but this is a spiritual thing. There's something about the piercing of the heart that has to take place in order for glory to be fully known. And so, and so in the Old Testament world, it's not about a, a piercing of the heart. Those hearts are, are veiled. It's actually about a, a mental assent to, to agree to a certain way of law-abiding living. But, but it, changes, it changes for us. The second half of verse 14 says this, it's... It, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. That veil that's on the heart is taken away with Christ. And now there could be a one-on-one relationship with God. Here's how verse 16 states it. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that is Jesus. Whenever anyone turns to Jesus, the veil that is over your heart is taken away. Whenever you come to know Jesus, you come to know him as a personal Lord and Savior. As one who offers grace to the world, but one who specifically is offering grace and love and hope to you. And when you receive that, as that veil is torn away and Jesus comes to reside by the power of the Holy Spirit in your very heart, in that space, the glory of God is now known in you. So that wherever you go, there is glory being shown. Wherever you go, there is a radiance, not just on your face, but in your whole self, so that everyone might see and know that you have been changed because of the love of God in Jesus Christ. That is a, an incredible gift that we have Because we are now that reflection, those of us who have encountered Jesus. The veil is being torn away. Whenever we have this glory, it now comes with with an honesty, an honest reflection out into the world. But that's not easy for us. It's not easy for us because we live in a world that naturally veils. We like to veil. We, we think as though uh, as we enter into the world, there, there's something that we need to put up and we need to, we need to show some people some things, but we're not going to show everybody everything because, because uh, we don't think that, that, that it's, it's acceptable or normative. And, and an example of that would be no one eats at McDonald's. No one. Ask 100 people who eats at McDonald's, one or two might say yes. Right? Come on now. Y'all know the truth. 
but, but, but McDonald's grossed nearly $21 billion in the last 12 months. Some of y'all are eating there. Someone has to like McDonald's. And yet, if you ask people, it's as though, nah, mm-mm, not me. That must be someone else. 20, $21 billion from somebody. No. We, I got a McDonald's cup right there. $1.08 for a Dr. Pepper this morning. I ate there. So there's an honesty about that. You, you feel the release, right? Like the honesty, right? There we go. Uh, but that's not how we operate. Have you heard what pollsters are saying about how hard it is to poll this country these days? The New York Times poll had an article uh, about the challenges that they're facing. And, and the New York Times poll was stating back that it's harder than ever for a, for a 2018 Florida congressional district race. They had to call 46,000 people to get 500 responses. That means 45,500 people did not want to say anything to anyone because they weren't political. We don't eat at McDonald's, and we are not political. That's what we know. We also know a whole lot more. There are so many things that we think we, are, we, we can veil, that, that we can protect uh, uh, ourselves from in the world, and the world can be protected from in us. But that's not how we operate when we know Christ. Because it says, when Christ comes into our heart, the veil is now down, and now the glory of God is in us, and the glory of God now radiates out so that the whole world can see it in you. So that you, you, you heard about caroling tonight, and you're like, I got to go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to go sing away in the manger, and I sing like boo-boo. And yet, I'm going to go and sing because I can't help but sing about the goodness of God, and his glory is going to shine forth in me. You're going to walk in the mall this week, which none of us want to do. And everybody in the mall is like a zombie right now. And they have zero energy and zero passion, and they really don't want to be buying these last minute gifts because everybody they actually love no no they love more they've already bought for now it's like the the weird the weird cousins that are going to randomly show up at this thing right and so you're going to walk through the mall and you're not going to want to be there and yet because the glory of God is in you you're going to smile and you're going to interact with other people you're going to look people in the eye you're going to say Merry Christmas and there's going to be something different in you than is in anyone else in that mall because the glory of God shines forth in you as an accurate reflection of the image of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking to yourselves, uh, does that ever get boring? Does that ever grow old being this reflection? Like, like at some point, don't you want something different? I want you to look at verse 18 and see that there is a, a, a newness about this glory in you every day over and over again. So we're this reflection of the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. It's more today than it was yesterday, and it's more uh, tomorrow than it is today. Every day it is ever-increasing in you, so it is fresh as the day is fresh. It will never get old. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, Jason, I don't feel like I carry the glory today. I'm a little bit yucky today. 
That might be where you are. But I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. No matter what you feel like, the glory of God is in you. It doesn't matter how much sleep you got or how anxious you are or how many challenges you're facing. This is the holy mystery of the spirit of God in you. You cannot flee from that spirit. That glory is yet in you wherever you go. And so that is, that, that is the good news we have, that, that we are not abandoned, we are not left alone, but God is always present with us because of what happened on Christmas, because God sent his only son, Jesus, in a manger. And as he was in that manger, he was, he was offering this, this authentic presence for you and for me for all of eternity. So the glory of God is in you, in you both now and forevermore. So I give thanks to God, and I expect that we together might go out into the world reflecting that glory in a powerful way so that more would know what it means to love Jesus and be loved by him as well. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for, uh, for the power of your word and for the gift of the, of, of the, of, of the, the way that it, it works together and intertwines and... and uh, and that it does not fail and that it is always true. So we pray, God, that you would use this wisdom, this, this image, this glory in us this week. Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it, uh, but, but we're going to uh, submit to it. We're going to surrender to it. We're going to rely on it because, because you promise it that, where we, uh, that when we encounter you, we have all of you, not a portion of you. And so we thank you for that. And we ask that you would meet with us this week. 